G'day and welcome to another episode of the Beyond the Fence podcast. As always, Ben Quayata is back and today we are talking football or soccer, depending on where you are in the world. And I have a very special guest, someone who I know has a good rant in him about the beautiful game. It's Jake, also known on Twitter as Halbridius. Man, how are you? Thanks for coming on. I'm great. Thank you for having me. I think that's the first time I've ever heard your name actually pronounced. <laughs> yeah, it does throw a lot of people when they first hear it. I mean, the uh, the like soft G in the middle was was a surprise. Yeah, it it scares a lot of people off, but it's actually quite phonetic if you just take if you just take out the G, it's exactly as it should be. But Italians love their language rules, so yeah. Also, some people this works in the football universe. Um, someone else tried to like they saw my name for the first time or tried to pronounce it for the first time, and they just used the Fabio Qualiarella rule. <laughs> yeah, sure. Uh, and it well, it, it works, so I might just start telling people that, but they have to have heard of Qualiarella first. Yeah, and that's a little niche for some people. I'd say that's in the Venn diagram of people who need to pronounce my name and people who know who Fabio Qualiarella is, it's quite small. There's 11 people. <laughs> oh, 11, Jesus, maybe like six. Um, <laughs> But yeah, just before we get into the discussion, um, do you want to preface this by saying that the team that has hurt you the most over the years is because I know there's going to be a bit of un well, like unconscious snark between the two prides of London here. Oh yeah. There'll be some banter. I'm an Arsenal fan. Um, it, you know, it, in all honesty, it hasn't really hurt me over the years that much. Cause I didn't become an Arsenal fan until whatever the year it was that Alexis Sanchez left. So oh, that's... three, four years ago now, yeah. so it's very recent for me. So, um, so, you didn't, so you weren't coming off like the good old days of the Invincibles? Et no, no. It's kind of a funny story. Basically, the Lions sucked. <laughs> and yes, they do. I just, I just kind of lost interest in the NFL for all sorts of reasons because it's basically not a good sports league anymore. And I was like, I have time now. And I have some friends that were soccer fans. And I was like, this is a game. Like, you know me. I'm, I'm a big basketball guy. Um, and the similarities between soccer and basketball were pretty close um, in terms of like movement and everything. And I was like, let's just get into to soccer. Let's pick a premier league team and let's go. And so I just, I watched a bunch of games from a bunch of teams and uh, the game I happened to watch from Arsenal at the time uh, was Arsenal Everton. I think that I know they scored like five goals. It was like five two Arsenal Everton or something like that. And it was like Alexis Sanchez, Mesut Ozil, and it was Lacazette's first year. And they were all combining beautifully with this like one-touch soccer, one-touch football, um, you know, peak Arsene Wenger stuff. And I was like, this is it. This is my club. And then immediately <laughs> it all went downhill from there. <laughs> oh, that's I had the, the luxury of going back into the archives and, and uh, you know, I don't know if you've ever heard of this website that's name is now going to escape, Footballia. I don't know if you've ever heard of them. Um, no, I haven't. But they just—they're just like a, an archive of of all sorts of games. Um, a lot of them were like recorded in like Russian and stuff. Yeah, yeah. But so, <laughs> like the first like three months of quarantine that I actually had work off, like I got a subscription to their site, uh, and just like went through the entire Invincibles era, a bunch of uh, like just before the Invincible stuff, 
watched like every game from like Robert Perez's career just because I knew that it was going to be a, an interesting thing. I think I watched every game I could that was in English of Zinedine Zidane <laughs> and stuff. But yeah, I've, I've been catching up. But it's only been about, I think that's, this is four years now. So I, I got in hard and fast. Yeah. But, uh, it hasn't been that long. Well, it's probably better that you didn't come in on like the the early 2010s when, you know, it was like the Andre Santoses of the world running around. Yeah. Because that would have been a rough exit pretty quickly, I would imagine. <laughs> Look, I, as a Detroit sports fan, I can take some punishment. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, that's, yeah, that's brought us closer together. <laughs> you know, I, I did, uh, I did, when I picked a team, I was like, you know what? I know how top heavy the sport is. I'm going to pick a big six club so that like, I don't have to deal with too much bullshit. Well, yeah, and because then, when, yeah. Arsenal. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah, that's when you put it like that, because I mean, obviously as a native Michigander, you kind of have to inherit those ones and they're nothing but disappointment. Right. So you want something to like, you know, but, right. I, I needed somebody that like was going to have an above a relaxing outlet. pretty pretty regularly. Yeah. And it has. Yeah. I mean, well, you've got drama. So, yeah, you've got <laughs> total opposite way. No, it's the same yeah. for me. Obviously, I I picked the Detroit sports team, so I can't. That's my own fault. But yeah, that was silly. Um, we'll blame 2K for having Ben Wallace on the cover. But um, <laughs> yeah, that's like with Chelsea. It was just like, well, I need one team that I know is just going to be good all the time. Like, this is my one chance, because even the teams I support down here in Australia are all, are like, a bit all over the place. So it's like, well, just give me something. Like, I don't care if I'm called, like, a glory hunter or... Because I was, like, 10 years old, so that's a bit harsh. Sure. But, and, like, it's it's every, I think, origin story for a European, or, sorry, an English football fan who's not from England. They're just going to pick, when they're younger, who, like, they're exposed to the most. And for me, in the mid-2000s, it was... Chelsea. Sure. I know for a lot of fans that are like, I don't know, seven, eight, nine years older than me, 10 years older than me, it's Leeds is the biggest club in Australia because the early 2000s, they were dominant. Plus they had Australians actually playing in those teams and contributing. So it's just a really big trend of like who's on at the time. But, you know, it's worked out. How accessible was it for you as a kid? Like, Uh, was it on regular TV? Okay. So we always had like, I don't know what you call it in America, but like paid TV or like Fox cable. Yeah, yeah. Cable. Sure. Um, yeah. So we, I always had that growing up and okay. the, the, so Fox sports or our version of Fox sports had, um, uh, all the premier league games every week live. Um, so I would usually record the Chelsea games unless they were on like, cause it, you know, there's like three or four games on at once sometimes and you can't, sure. they can't show them all live cause it's only limited channels. So they'd put like, the main game on live and then have the two or three other games on red button. So like you'd have to pick to watch those. Right. And I couldn't record those ones cause they weren't technically broadcast, but it was very accessible for me at least because I had that service. And then I think about, uh, I'd say the season Chelsea came that would be it, 10th. Dark Ooh, I don't know. So about a few years ago now, well, I was in America that year, but about a few years ago, Fox Sports lost the rights of the Premier League to Optus Sports. So Optus is one of our telco providers, like sure. Sprint or Verizon. Um, but they've got a streaming service and they bought the rights to the Premier League and put it behind their paywall 
and I'm yeah. not an office customer, so I had to sign up separately. Um, but I did. I refused to do that for like a couple of years. I just probably I'd go stream hunting, but then I finally got into it, and it's actually worth it. So it's it's a pretty good product, as much as I don't like the paywall system. Yeah, I kind of felt that way. All our stuff is now on uh, NBC's Peacock thing, which is stupid. But yeah. there was there was a point in time where it was like, all right, and it's not worth it to go stream hunting and deal with like missing goals because your stream dropped. It's like four dollars a month through the season, and then yeah. I'll be done with it. But yeah, I know like a lot of Americans are Manchester United fans because they're the only people that were on TV here. Yeah, um, but so but you had all the games. You had your pick. I did, up, nice. yeah, yeah, I had all the games. Um, and it's also, unfortunately, the Champions League is also behind that same paywall. So Ooh. I think Champions League lasted lasted a couple extra years before Optus got the rights to that as well. And then once, then that, I think at that point, that was like, oh, all right, it's probably <laughs> worth getting now. Like, you've got me. I think and TNT I is carrying that for us right now. But yeah. uh, the Europa League, which of course is where Arsenal have been stuck for a while, <laughs> is not broadcast on a main USA channel. So that one is is Stream City, buddy. Well, Europa League is also behind that same paywall here. Ugh. So that pay, it's Premier League, Champions League, Europa League, and then a bunch of Asian leagues like the Japanese League, Korean League. Well, that's uh, fun. I, I can't say I watch them, but they, I do have the option in case I ever get bored. Um, but a lot of the other, like the Bundesliga, Serie A, La Liga, they're on our just main cable TV, unlike except like B in sports, I think. Good, good. But obviously not every game. But like at least there's the option. Still, right? They're not going to yeah. bro- they're not going to show you like I don't know Hoffenheim versus Dusseldorf. They're, like they're going to show you biggish game. <laughs> oh, it's harsh, but <laughs> yeah, I mean you want to watch the big clubs, but it's it's still good for those leagues to, to get the exposure. I mean that's over here. It's just some of these teams you don't see. Period. So people don't know about them. Yeah. Well, I mean, but, speaking of the league that you do see all the time, <laughs> Manchester City with having a dominant season. What do you put that down to? Uh, I think part of it's just them, certain like random luck things coming good. Uh, a big thing is is Ruben Diaz showing up and showing up that uh, back line. But like last season, they were. Uh, they, they blew out even Liverpool from like an XG perspective. Like last season, Man City should have been top of the table by like 10 points if you follow like an XG yeah. model. So in part, it's just luck of the draw coming their way. I think, But I do think the big change is Ruben Diaz has opened up a lot of options for them along the back line. And just Pep now has so many more tactical options now that he has a center back he actually trusts. Yeah, I think it's opened up a lot for them, especially partnering in with John Stones, who I think when he first signed for Man City, because I think when he was leaving Everton, it was Chelsea, like we re- apparently had got him, or like we're really in on him. And then he ends up going to Man City. And that first year or two, I think pe- <clears throat> people were like, you know, is he anything more than just like a, 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 a good top half centre back? But is he like a Champions League centre back? And then this season. Part of it is having someone next to him like Diaz instead of like a hodgepodge of like, you know, Otamendi and right, you know, like all those guys that they tried and, you know, El- Eloquim Mancala. 
But um, yeah, I think his improvement has come out of nowhere. Joao Cancelo turning into the like the best do everything guy in the whole league. Like I don't think that's a position he hasn't played. No, except, like maybe he's been striker. awesome. Because like I'll. I like I don't watch every game, but I like I'll look at like highlights or I'll watch TV. I'll see like the team list, and it'd be like one game he'll be like at right back, which I think was his main position at Juventus, and then next game he'll be oh someone's out, he'll have to go left back, or like oh Gundogan's out, can you just play centre mid for us? Just like that guy at the park, like he's clearly the I liken him to my like social league. You've got like the one player who's clearly the best. And he's not clearly the best, but like you just stick him wherever you know the ball's going to go. And he just kind of runs around and does that. He's just like, if there's a hole in that team, he's just got it covered. And I really respect that. Yeah. I think he was going to be, because like last season as well, he was like not playing that much. And then just out of nowhere, he's just come in and dominated. Yeah. I think it'd be interesting to hear from him what he thinks the difference is, because I, I couldn't figure out why. He wasn't playing well. I don't, you know, I didn't, I never heard from like Man City writers or like anyone I follow that, that talks about them. I never really heard an excuse for it. Just like, oh, it, did, it wasn't working out. And now you look at him and he's this guy that's great, got great technical security with both feet, great pace, you know, plays the game like smartly. And between him and, and Gundogan, they just they have two guys, they plug and play anywhere. It's and part of it's just I think Pep has maybe figured him out uh, and and realized what he wants out of him. I think maybe that took some time, but he's just he's been awesome. the The whole city team has been awesome. I mean, top to bottom, it's been fun. Pep has just finally decided I don't need a striker on the field <laughs> ever. Just play eights everywhere. We'll be fine. And I mean. You you love to hate them because obviously it's hard to root for a Man City team that's bought with you know dirty money etc etc etc. But boy do they play some pretty stuff. You're talking to the like. I yeah, can't, yeah yeah yeah. I can't totally hate on that. <laughs> but look, you're, look, I, yeah. I I get to hate on it because my owner doesn't put any of his dirty money <laughs> into my club. <laughs> oh, that is true. You might, you're gonna buy like. I'm trying to think of the next pipeline player from Chelsea to Arsenal. You might get Jorginho for like 10 million. Oh God. <laughs> We've, we brought on William today and just like my heart literally shrinks like three sizes and dehydrates. It's awful. Every time I see him play, it's terrifying. Well, now, you know, I guess everyone that follows Chelsea was like, when, when he was, I guess, coming to the end of his time and, like, he wanted the three years, we were like, well, no. Like, <laughs> you're, you're already 31, 32 years old, however old he was. Plus, we literally just broke our one-year-over-30 policy for David Luiz, who then left, like, two weeks after signing it. So, like, that's killed that thing forever. Like, even, like, Lampard didn't get it, Terry didn't get it, N'Golo Conte's probably not going to get it. And then he it's comes shocking to Arsenal, that Luis got it. <laughs> yeah, shocking. Um, and then he goes to Arsenal, and all the Arsenal guys are like, "Oh, this is like we've got like." I don't want to bring up like I assume you know you know AFTV. <laughs> oh God, yeah. The... <laughs> but the 
I, I forget who it was, but like, oh, well, we've got their best player. And I'm thinking, did you watch any of Chelsea's game last year? Oh, my God. He was the best player, like, in maybe five games. Like, when he was on, boy, was he on. But he was really on. He was, like, Williams' problem is he just floats around. 25 stepovers, and you know he's going right anyway. So. Well, and that's the thing about him this season. He doesn't even try that. He's He's been completely content with just passing the ball back. And not even like, like at Chelsea, you knew like, all right, he's going to trot, he's going to drive down the right sideline and put the ball in. Maybe it's a good cross. Maybe it's not. He has like one move. And now, and and now he doesn't drive down the right. He just passes back. And it's like, well, what's the point? And because he's like in the right places, Mikel Arteta loves him. And it's like, Mikel, Mikel, he's not doing anything. (laughs) He runs to the right place. And then he stops. He, we a, more. We need more. It says a lot that that he was the best player in the season, but they came 10th. Like, that was his player of the season. <laughs> yeah. Campaign. Scored, like, seven oh. free kicks in a row or something stupid. Maybe not in a row, but, like, he had that run of, like... Yeah. Uh, and then he... Yeah, he goes missing for the long stretch. But, no, this isn't a William hate fest, because I actually do like the guy. He won two titles with us, so... I wish I, I could like the guy. I have no reason to dislike him, and I'm glad he's found a new home for three years. I would like him to find a new new home <laughs> for what's, however long he wants. What's, what's Tottenham doing? Uh, losing, thank God. <laughs> losing badly. Getting their butts spanked by United. Oh, that I, felt good today. I mean, we got our butts spanked by West Brom, and that was a shock. No, no, we can talk about Tottenham some more. Don't worry. We can, uh, okay, we can okay. talk about them. <laughs> well, I, did, I didn't want to talk about Tottenham at all today because I didn't really, like, they're just kind of there this season. They're not really affecting me in any way. I did, well, before we got to the rest of the top four race, I did want to touch on Liverpool's defence. And I think, you know how, like, how you said Man City are having, like, a, a few lucky factors, for lack of a better word, going their way this year with how dominant they've been ladder-wise. I guess Liverpool have kind of run out of that because last year they were so dominant. And then this year you've got all the injuries, you know, Van Dyke missing a lot of time. Um, oh, I blanked. But you know what I mean? It's like yeah, absolutely, Liverpool yeah. had that amazing run last year and then this year everything's just come crashing back down. I don't think it's a Klopp's gone bad kind of thing. It's just absolutely not, no. You can't maintain that level. Well, and, and again... Man City last year, I pulled up the, the tables just to check. So Man City last year had a net XG of plus 67. Oh, Liverpool won the league last year with a net XG of plus 43. So we're, talk, we're talking about uh, a Man City team that just got unlucky, like really badly unlucky with finishing, with all sorts of stuff, and should have won the league Statistic, you know, but as far as the the analytics go, if you if you subscribe so, to the XG method, yeah. So you know, for Liverpool to be slipping is not necessarily a surprise. This year, Liverpool are, uh, I think they're third. This table loads very slowly, but <laughs> they are, yeah, they're third in net XG. So like they're they've underperformed what they should be like Sadio Mane has just not felt it. But at the same time, Van Dyke is, is, has been injured and he got injured early. Um, Joe Gomez goes out. 
uh, Matip has missed time. That's your entire back line. Everyone yeah. you've started last year has missed time. Uh, Henderson, your captain, goes down. Uh, Tiago, the guy you bring in to, to stabilize your midfield, gets COVID, gets hurt, and basically loses any chance he has of adjusting to the Premier League. And he's not been great since he came back. But, like, again, he lost all those kind of preseason moments. And yep. it's, you know, that's just brutal for them. Um, do, you know, I have all the faith in the world that they're going to be scary again next year. I don't, I don't see them dropping out of the top three, you know, threatening for top three anytime soon. Klopp is awesome. And they've got just enough coming in from a youth perspective, I think to keep it going. So uh, it's, it's a harsh season for Liverpool, but not one that I'd be concerned about in the long term. Would you brand them missing the champions league though, as a failure? I guess it has to be a failure on that respect, even with all the factors that you've just mentioned. I mean, yes. Especially, especially when you see who is between them and Man United in that second to sixth race. You've got Leicester, who somehow just keep going up there, but they're kind of up and down at the moment. West Ham, who just should not be, they don't belong there, let's be frank. And Chelsea, who sacked Frank and have been horrifically inconsistent all season. And I mean, maybe they just sacked Lampard at the right time because they've stabilized well since. But they're not three teams that I would think Liverpool would be looking at and going, yeah, like all three of them, they should be above us. Like it's it's an expected because it's just not. I See, I'm, I'm a big proponent of like the, the chemistry, the cohesion of your team is everything. Uh, I think we see it when you see like promoted teams come up and you see it in like a leads where just like everyone knows what they're doing. And you can't tell me that anyone on that, on that roster, except for maybe uh, Calvin Phillips who got hurt is a guy that I'd necessarily want at like my club, but because they all know what they're doing, they've all played together for a long time. They're 11th. That the losing so many players, having so much chaos, you know, little things like we didn't even talk about, like Allison. Uh, I forget what he had for a while, um, but he he has some sort of weird thing going on in his life. Has a couple of missteps and gives up a goal or two that causes them a loss, and then they find Allison's father dead in a swimming pool. Like that kind of stuff is just I don't know how you deal with that as a club. So. I have a, I mean, it's a disappointment. I have a hard time saying anything's a failure, you know, when you've done all you can there. I mean, it's, it's not like you have a club that has imploded from like, this isn't like Manchester United imploding in the last Mourinho year and um, just like the chemistry going back. It's not that, um, you know, I think I, I have a couple people I know that are Liverpool fans. I think most of them are just like, yep, this sucks. And, <laughs> you know, I don't like, I, you don't hear the same amount of angst out of a Liverpool fan that you hear out of the Arsenal fan base <laughs> or the Manchester United fan base, even though they're somehow still in second and just have a massive winning streak. Like you don't hear that. So I don't, I don't know that I'd categorize it as a, as a major failure. It's just sad. <laughs> I guess 
yeah, I, 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 when you lay it out like that, I agree. I guess when you look at Liverpool and when you discuss if something's a failure and you go, would missing the Champions League impact their potential summer signing targets in any way? And probably not. Like, I think players are smart enough to realise, like, sorry, players that Liverpool would want to target, you know, the Tim and Werners <laughs> of the world, would be smart enough to realise, look, this team is still comfortably, like, in the top two or three of the Premier League. All things in a vacuum. They've just ha- <clears throat> they've just had this absolute Murphy's Law season where everything's, yeah. where everything's just gone down the, the drain. Um, I'll give it a year. And then I'll get them back to where they should be. So I think it's almost made them a more attractive project. Well, and, right. Sense. And you and you can't underestimate the fact that I think Jurgen Klopp's the most beloved manager in football. People love to play for him. So, you know, if Jurgen Klopp comes and knocks on your door and says, I want you to play for my, I, I don't know who's saying no that well, isn't I, already at one of the like top two clubs in their respective league. I know who's saying no. <laughs> and who is this? Timo Werner. <laughs> I, yeah, I that's a weird one. I think most of the, the the big reason Werner went to Chelsea is that he was going to get time. I You know, he wasn't supplanting Sadio Mane on that left side. Wasn't going to happen. So, and I, I don't think he wanted to play I, for that. <laughs> I choose to believe it is just Werner realizing the project in London was just far more attractive. Um and if Werner's greatest contribution to the team is getting habits to come with him, then that's fine. That's fine by me. <laughs> well, and uh, I mean, you you can't say that what Chelsea was building at the time looked unattractive either. I mean, it, it of kind of imploded at the beginning of this season as everything fell apart. But like the whole Frank's got the kids going thing looked pretty cool for a while there for once Chelsea was somewhat likable maybe the only time yeah yeah happier times did you think they should have sacked Frank when they did I I was okay with it um I mean I'm I'm not a Chelsea fan so like I didn't have a huge opinion I wasn't entirely sure he knew what he was doing I think they probably should have waited to make all the signings they did. I think they basically threw a whole bunch of money in that season, in that summer. And Frank had no idea what to do with it. Like, I think he felt kind of compelled to play these big signings and didn't have a plan for them. And that bit him in the butt. And I think that's kind of a common thing you see with some like really young managers at times. So yeah, it's, it's weird. Like, Arsenal are in a pretty similar position with Arteta. Like the results have not stacked up to what you'd like. I absolutely do not want Arsenal to to let go of Mikel Arteta. I think Mikel has like a very clear plan in mind and I want to see that through. I don't know that like Frank was tactically as like, I don't know that he had as obvious an X and O plan for his teams as Mikel does, but he had better results. So it's, it's a really hard you know, I when when you have Tuchel sitting there, I I think it was kind of an obvious move. You you just spent all the money you did, and you have one of the best managers in the world just sitting at home. That it makes sense. Yeah, I think what co- well, yeah, what cost Frank? Because I'm kind of like you. I wouldn't. Well, sorry, I 
thought they would have just given him till the end of the season, at least, considering the drastic change in the squad from last year to this year. But then, like you said, you've got this, you started this slide. You don't know if this slide is just a blip or if it's symptomatic of some deeper problem with the way Frank's running the squad or his tactics or whatever. And then you've got, yeah, Tuchel sitting at home going, well, we've just brought it, like our two marquee signings, coincidentally a German. We can bring in one of the best coaches in the world who know, has worked with these guys before in some level. And even Pulisic, they were together at Dortmund. So, uh, yeah, I yeah, guess the, it was just, it was like... The Tuchel perfect, made too much sense. The, it was the perfect storm, unfortunately. And I think, yeah, the other part that I was going to say, Frank's tactics, he didn't help himself by continuously playing guys in weird spots. He'd keep, like, at, at the start of the season, I didn't think Werner was, the, should have been stuck out wide left. But he'd also play mounts on the wing a lot. He'd constantly play um, Jorginho as like a single screener at times, or Jorginho Kovacic, who I still think are a bit iffy together. As Filiqueta was pretty much frozen out of the team, Rudiger was frozen out of the team. And I'm not even the biggest Rudiger fan, but I think he's probably, the outside of Thiago Silva, the best raw centre-back that the club's got, which in hindsight, doesn't say much for the rest of <laughs> considering how crazy he can be. No, and I think, I think like you, I think you see the issue with bringing in basically a brand new manager there. Like Frank didn't know what he wanted out of a club yet. He didn't have a style that was the Lampard style. I don't think. And I think that was the difference. Like when Mikel Arteta came to Arsenal, I knew exactly what Mikel Arteta was going to do. Whether or not they executed it correctly, no idea. But I knew, like, we were going to get possession football playing it out of the back. He was going to play a very, like, tight defense. Like, I knew that. I don't think Frank had any plans yet. And in that case, I think you kind of, when you hire him, should have been planning for a three-, four-year project, to be honest with you. And really, I think you probably should have let him coach in the – you know, championship a little while longer. He was at, was he at Derby before then? Derby, yeah. Is yep. that right? He spent like one year there. Like, I think year. he probably needed a little more time to figure out who he was as a manager. And I, I'm kind of interested to see if he gets another shot somewhere, if he's figured out what he wants to be as a manager. Cause I, I don't, you know, I, I didn't watch that much Chelsea, but I have no idea what he really wanted out of that team. I guess the one good thing about Lampard leaving is it's the coach's sudden narrative with Mason Mount has died and people are just realizing that he's actually just really good. <laughs> he is really, really good. And, and like, you, even I was, think that's uh, like, sorry, go ahead. Uh, even I was like one of the ones, not coach's son, but I like, as, so the first game last season, so Lampard's first game, when we got thumped at Man United 4-0, he started mm-hmm. Mount and Abraham together. Two guys that I think I think well, Mount had never played for Chelsea before. Abraham had like one game I think before he started his loan career, before he joined the loan army. Right. Um, and I, I saw the team sheet and I was like, oh geez, okay, we're doing this, are we? <laughs> and I think Emerson even started that game. It was just a weird game. It was a weird lineup. Like, it was. Oh, it's like first lineup of the season is always like the weirdest one. Like even this year, they're like having Ruben Loftus Cheek at the ten. 
<laughs> yeah, I um, think I saw that. <laughs> against Brighton. Uh, yeah. Uh, but then I was like, oh, what have these guys done to deserve it? And they played well, but then like Mount went up and down and I was like, oh, he's a good player, but is he really like that vital to the team? And yes, turns out, yes, he, he's quite vital. Yes. Yeah, that's, that's, uh, I think we see that a lot with various players. Like they come in and you're like, oh, well, that was a good game. Is that really the player? And then like three games later, by that time, yeah, that, that player changed every, like Arsenal this year brought in, uh, um, Emil Smith Rowe, one of their academy kids, uh, to the first team because they desperately needed some like num- a number ten, somebody who can like really make third man runs and stuff. And I was like, oh right, this is revolutionary, and it totally <laughs> changed the season. It, 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 everything, everything about the way the the field was spaced changed as soon as you have this guy who understands how to drop short and then make third man runs. And sometimes it's just you need that player and. Yeah. Mason Mount has clearly been that for Chelsea. Mount was also, he was also obviously tied to Lampard because they worked together at Derby for that one season right. in the championship. And same with Fakaya Tomori, who took, I, he took about three games to get into the team. So he took a while, but once he got <laughs> in, then he was a bit more flash in the pan. But yeah, I don't think we can question Mount. But I could go on about Chelsea all day, but I don't want to do that because I want to talk about the rest of the top four race, specifically if you think West Ham and Everton will keep hanging around that top four race. Especially, I know you want to talk about Everton, specifically who they've got leading the mafia up there. Can you believe that Carlo Ancelotti's at Everton? I can't believe he's still at Everton. Let's put it that way. It's only been like a year, because he came in the same week Arteta did. So it's only been... Oh, did he? 18 18 months? months? Yeah, like their their first games, uh, I can't. I know that they basically signed on in the same time, and I know Mikel Arteta watched a Everton Arsenal game from the stands. Um, like he'd signed on but wasn't ready to coach yet, and I can't remember if Ancelotti was also watching from the stands or if that was his first <laughs> game. But that was like they came in at the same time, and there was a whole lot of people who were like, Arsenal should hire. Ancelotti, which I mean, would have been a a good move, I think, for Arsenal. I I liked taking the gamble on the the hometown kid kind of thing, but uh, the club legend—that's the better phrase, not the hometown yeah. kid, the club <laughs> legend. Um, but I mean, you have this guy who's won the the Champions League three times. Uh, I think it is who's won multiple league titles, who is one of the best managers the game has ever seen in Everton. <laughs> Everton. I'd say <laughs> no disrespect to Everton, but this is disrespect to Everton. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> they're not, like, they're the they're the seventh, eighth team in the big six, right? Like, that's just how they've, they've been there forever, and they've never been a big six club because, for the most part, they've never earned it. And they've been awesome this year. And you just have to... to like celebrate that I guess for them I mean they got their first win in Anfield this year right I think that that happened just a couple of weeks ago uh sounds right yeah I mean part of it I think is that Liverpool's slipping a little bit but I mean I, I don't think 
Like Man United are a good team. I don't think that they've given away points that they shouldn't have. So for the most part, like Everton have earned their way into the the conversation, which is really cool for Everton. Do I expect them to stay there for any length of time? No, I do not. But have a fun season. <laughs> West Ham is the crazy one. West Ham is. Yeah, because at least Everton attracted like Champions League level signings in Rodriguez, Allen. Etc. Right. Etc. Even Decore is not Champions League level. Right. Like, you go, you go up and down from, Everton's roster, and you're like, this team should probably be like sixth through eighth, and they're eighth right now, and they're eighth, and I think they should be like ninth in the table by like their XG metrics. So like, they're just doing stuff as Everton, yeah. which is kind of fun. But West Ham are fourth. <laughs> all on the back of the possibly the greatest footballer of all time, Jesse Lingard. <laughs> I I have a, a friend who is an American who somehow decided he was going to become a West Ham fan. I still don't know how that happened. Just like two years ago, he was like, I'm going to watch soccer and I'm going to be a West Ham fan. And I was like, that's ill-advised. <laughs> that's a very bad plan. But who's laughing now? He's in fourth. <laughs> he's he's sitting here sending me Jesse Lingard gifts and wearing Mikel Antonio shirts and good for him i guess I, i'm uh, a huge fan of Mikel antonio he's great i i mean that's i think they're a pretty likable team as long as you don't hold any negative feelings for jesse lingard which i mean i he kills arsenal every time so there's there's a little bit of of uh inherent negative bias but like <laughs> i think they're just a fun team like suchek has come out of nowhere and been awesome for them this year the, the czech mafia suchek and how do you pronounce Sue Fowl? What That guy. Just both of them have just been, like signed from the backwaters of, you know, Slavia Prague or wherever they came from. And like, th- these guys are legitimately like good Premier League players now. Like, exactly. Wow, where does this come from? Like Aaron Quest- Cresswell. Oh, he's a, all of a sudden like one of the best left backs in the league. Yeah. Uh, so, so check one of the best six slash eight slash tens in the league because you can just pretty much do everything in that midfield. You've got Antonio up front. Jared Bowen, coming from Hull, has been brilliant. I don't get it. Yeah. The, and and that's like, is David Moyes good? Oh, Can't be. Oh, no. Can't be. <laughs> Can't no, this, be. This is, you just, what I a, just keep having that conversation in my head. Like, is this man, has he figured it out? I don't. Maybe? Whatever <laughs> the opposite of Murphy's Law is, is what is happening in West Ham this year. <laughs> Is it Moises' law? Oh, <laughs> it, just... no, it might be. It might be Moises' law. As long as he doesn't have to deal with Wolf Zaha, he should be sweet. <laughs> I, it, I, I think the like West Ham and Everton are are teams you just kind of have to like celebrate and enjoy while they're there. You know, Leicester, I think you celebrate. I personally really don't like Brendan Rodgers, but you just got to kind of celebrate and have some fun because they shouldn't be there and they are. And I mean, I can't resent them for it. <laughs> it's, well, you it's, brought up, you said the continuity before. I think that's the the biggest example of that is Leicester because they've kept the core of that. Like the squad, obviously the squad that won the league has been kind of broken up with Kante and Mahrez both leaving and Chilwell. Well, Chilwell wasn't in that squad, but he was around it. And then, but the guys uh, drink water, I guess, if you want to count drink water. But then the team has consistently stayed in that top like six race 
and you look at the guys like Vardy has stayed uh, and Didi, Madison, like they've all been together like two, three, four years now. And I think you're really seeing the benefits of that. I, I think more than anything, you see a team that knows exactly what it is and what it wants to do and yeah. doesn't like pretend they that might it needs have to be anything else. Identity in the league. Right. They, they just go out and do Leicester stuff. And I really, really wish Arsenal could go out and do Arsenal stuff on a regular basis. I mean, that'd be great. That's just... They've turned uh, those I mean, carries into a real player, Harvey Barnes. Yeah. Yeah. I And for my money, I think Vardy's the most like underrated, under-talked-about guy maybe in football period. Like, the idea that you just have this guy who's a blisteringly fast striker who can finish with either foot and finish some absolutely crazy goals basically comes on against any big name competition and just whacks two in and goes home <laughs> and goes back, goes to a second job at the steel works. Right. And it's just like, ah, that's Jamie Vardy. Let's just keep rolling. And it's like, that dude is incredible. And he's got all these people behind him that do all sorts of good stuff on defense and, it, you know, whatever they do all their stuff for, for 87 minutes a game. And then there's three minutes of Vardy time and he <laughs> makes all three minutes count every time <laughs> and every time i'm just like what god damn it like he's another guy who just loves to kill arsenal and i almost can't even hate him for it because he's so damn good at doing the one thing he does which is whack goals just like a half second earlier than you think he's gonna whack the goal and run in behind hmm. every time now we've obviously I think extolled the virtues of the top of the ladder enough. I did want to talk about the 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 nasty end of it. The Oof. end. The where's Arsenal exactly on the ladder? I just want to see. <laughs> right clo- back oh, in the middle. They're ninth. Damn it! I was going to say the one that Arsenal's closer to, but oh, points wise they are. Um, yeah. <laughs> the, yeah. <laughs> the relegation. Uh, the. Be- is it a battle? I don't. I never like the word battle for relegation because it's it's just more of a like you know one of those things like last person to touch the car wins ten thousand dollars. It's just like who, <laughs> who who can die last? Yeah. Exactly. Um, do you think it's done? Well, so we've got what Sheffield, West Sheffield, Brom, Sheffield, Fulham. Sheffield are done though. Um. Well, and so West Brom have brought in Big Sam, right? Yes. And noted survivalist. Yep. That uh, that has gone very badly. They are <laughs> by far the worst team from like a an XG perspective. So. What was their XG? Can you say single game things like that, or just are you just looking at the total? Because I went, I forgot. I'm why looking I at their net XG. Yeah, because so I, I right remember now, seeing the XG right... for the Chelsea game, and it was something. <laughs> that game was just a write-off in general, like for all the analytics. Like that's one, not one of the ones you use as a representative sample, but. I think their XG was still only like two and a half or something when they scored five. Yeah. Um, but like right now they're a negative 32 XG. And the next closest is Sheffield, I think at negative 26. Oof. And Palace is actually the uh, negative 25.3 and Sheffield are negative 25.7. So those three have been from a from an XG perspective, the worst in the league. So you're telling me Brighton is not in the bottom three? No. No. I XG loves Brighton. 
Can Brighton finish? No, Brighton cannot finish anything. I don't think Brighton can finish in their sheets at night. They're very bad. <laughs> Brighton are 16th, and the by the like XG table, they should be like eighth. Oh wow. Uh, tenth maybe. Like they're plus ten and a half XG net. Wow. That's really good. <laughs> They, they should be blowing the, the league away, and they're just very bad because they can't finish anything. Um, anyway, back to the relegation scrap. So the other one in there is Fulham, and I think Fulham have done better. I don't have the form pulled up. I think Fulham have been better recently and kind of figured some things out. Yeah, they've lost um, four in a row. <laughs> well, no, maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> but, I know they had a good stretch for a little they bit. They did. They had a couple of results. I think... Yeah, they just probably left it a bit too late, and then, oh, well, yeah, like, lost four in a row. But, um, I've, yeah, I just checked the reading the right end of the form thing here on the little widget. Uh, yeah, so they've lost four in a row. They've got a, um, they're a game ahead. Like, they've played one extra than Newcastle. They've played two extra Brighton and one extra Burnley, um, who are, I guess, their immediate, like, Newcastle six points ahead, Brighton six points ahead, Burnley seven points ahead. So it's not looking good for. It is not. No, uh, they've got six games to make up a well a seven a seven point gap right or six point gap right now. But you take that game in hand that the others have got. Let's let's hypothesize an eight point gap. Yeah, it's rough. I, I think that's your three is Fulham, West Brom, and Sheffield. But uh, I was kind of rooting for Newcastle to go down. And I feel bad about it because, like, I don't like several players on Newcastle. Like, Miguel Almiron makes uh. my blood boil. <laughs> I hate that dude. Don't like him whatsoever. Really would love him to go down. But at the same time, like, uh, their stadium is one of the most gorgeous stadiums and gorgeous locations. They're, like, this club with great history. So from, like, a club perspective, I kind of don't want to see it. Yeah, they're kind of like the, yeah, the the big, the, the worst big team. Right. Because they are a big team. They're a big club. Right. Like, yeah, because they've been so bad recently, I, I think a lot of people that have come in, like, in my time as a fan, Newcastle have been utter crap. Yeah, yeah. Just terrible. Yeah. And it's like, actually, we're talking about a team that has won the league, a team that has, like, been right there with Everton as, like, one of the big eight sides. Has the greatest striker of all time, possibly. Excuse you. At least Premier League. Oh, no, I said what I said. I said I said what I said. <laughs> Thierry Henry just gave you a face, and you know exactly what face it is, and then he just kept walking. Yeah. <laughs> um, the, way, the way I describe Newcastle is they're a big club run. Like, they're a big club who's run like a... Uh, League Two side on the brink of financial collapse. They're the Minnesota Timberwolves. Say it, say it how it should be said. That's what they are. <laughs> well, people who they, they, football fans won't know that analogy. Well, a lot of them won't. They should. Yeah, they should. Or they're the Sunderland. <laughs> Newcastle run like Sunderland. <laughs> like when weird. Sunderland were cascading down the leagues. You you have you watched uh, Ted have, Lasso? Uh, oh, Ted Lasso. No, I haven't. I don't have Amazon. Okay. Uh, you should watch Ted Lasso, but but like one of the things from that show is that the the owner's wife inherits the team and tries to tank their season. That's that's like the thing, and that's how Newcastle feels. Like there's no way they should be this bad. I think they wouldn't mind they if Mrs. Ashley took over though. 
Oh. But yeah, I, I think the relegation battle is probably pretty settled. It's 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 going to be really hard. Fulham's the only one that has a chance to pull it out, and they it's would like need a, a modern miracle. Yeah, I mean, I can see Newcastle tanking that bad, but I like I think Brighton is is going to stay. Hopefully, Brighton buy any striker at all, <laughs> just mm-hmm. have one, and they'll shoot up the table pretty pretty quickly. I think so. But yeah, like blades, blades are toast. Yeah, they're, they're at 14 points. Yeah, we're, I, we're 31 I, games in the season. I wanted to devote a little bit more than the token mentioned to the Sheffield. When I was writing the notes for this uh, for this episode, the, the dirty thought crossed my mind of could we compare this Sheffield team to I don't know how familiar you are with the 2009 Derby County side, uh, widely regarded as the worst Premier League side of all time. They had a goal difference of minus 60. Eight, I think it was. Don't know. Um, but they, they are well, easily the worst the worst Premier League team of all time. Right, I've, I've heard um, of them. Obviously, I haven't spent sorry, a lot of time with them. Maybe 2008. I'm trying to get their ladder up. Because I think they had about... Uh, yeah, so they came 20th, obviously. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, they had one win all season. Yeah. So the 38 games, one win, eight draws, 29 losses. They scored 20 goals and conceded 89 <laughs> for a grand total of 11 points. I don't yeah. think Sheffield's that bad, but the no. fact across my mind is probably not a good sign for them. How many how many losses did that Derby team 20, have? 29, 29. All right. So, so. Sheff- Sheffield's at 25, but they have four wins. So I think you can. You can say they're better, maybe. Well, st- well four they wins. That, they, yeah, but they've only they've still got three goals to go to catch up, and there's no guarantee they'll score those three goals. But I don't think they're going to concede another. What is it, 34 to match the? I would hope not. That, that team was horrid, but no, on Sheffield, because last year they were the darlings of the league. They came oh seventh, I think. They kind of faded at the end, but there was legitimate. Champions League dark horse energy about Sheffield. And then I don't know what happened. Maybe it's the fact that they loaned a player from Chelsea and just got all that bad energy <laughs> from the start of the season. But And they bought a former Chelsea youth product as well for record money. So, right, didn't they? They bought the striker that had never yeah. played in the Premier League for like right. $25 million. Uh, Rian Brewster, yeah. No, yeah. He, I think he played in the... Or had he not? No. He might have made a token appearance for Liverpool. But yeah, that was ill-advised. But, but the season, yeah. from, like, what's happened? What, what's the difference? I, I, it's, I, I guess it's fair to say they were probably playing above their level last year. But you would have thought still that they wouldn't go from seventh and you know one of the best defenses in the league to this. This. <laughs> yeah. I. And it's a shame. I, I think, like Sheffield. Yeah, I think part of it is just like they weren't talented. Like I think I think they were the team that was winning because they had the right X's and O's. And uh, who's the manager? Um, it was Chris Wilder. Wilder. Yeah, Wilder. Like I think he was just coaching a really good side, you know, correctly, and they kept doing what they were doing in the in the championship. 
And I think they kind of got figured out. And I think the, you know, the talent gap just like started smacking them in the face. And I'm not sure they did anything to solve that really. Um, And sometimes I think that just happens, (laughs) you know, that's uh, another NBA crossover. Remember when the Miami Heat just had that one season where they went like 42 losses and then 42 wins? I don't, I don't remember the exact numbers, yeah, but they just like streaked I, I the end of the season. Exact, yeah, so the exact thing was they started the season 11 and 30, and then they finished 30 and 11. Yeah. So they ended and up. I think there was just kind of some of that for Sheffield, <laughs> except in reverse. Yes. Yeah, yeah, Miami figured themselves out. Sheffield got figured out by everyone else. Yeah, and uh, I, I don't think it has to be much more than that, and I think. Once they lost that, like, edge, I don't think they were set up from a talent perspective to do anything once else. The, once the spiral started. Yeah. And you kind of watch them play now. And, like, Arsenal just got away with playing Granite Xhaka at left back because they couldn't pressure him because they don't have any wingers. And that's a pretty sorry state of affairs. <laughs> Like, yeah, well, when your leading striker is David McGoldrick. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure he's a lovely like, bloke, but as a player, doesn't really... He's not like someone I go on YouTube at 2am and go, give me all the David McGoldrick highlights, please. Although I yeah. could, because that video would be about three minutes long. <laughs> you, you you could do that. I mean, there's there's Although a lot of like... include uh... one goal against Chelsea, the first goal of the Tuchel era they considered. <laughs> There's there's a lot of like hoping and praying that Ali McBurney is a good soccer player, and that's a lot. Like that's just a lot of lot to ask of any team is to pretend that Ali McBurney is a good good player. Well, it's same with Ryan Brewster. Yes, I don't think they count on Brewster to like come in and save them. But every time I've watched a Sheffield game, they're like, oh, Ollie McBurney's coming on the pitch. He's about to do a thing. And it's like, no. you mean broke man's Peter Crouch? Like what? Oh, that's <laughs> like, harsh. That is harsh. Is, am I wrong? I said <laughs> it was harsh. I didn't say it was wrong. <laughs> it's, it's just like, I, they're just not good anymore. So I it, also don't make bad. a point to watch, like to set aside an hour and a half, two hours to watch Sheffield play games. I wouldn't either. I I don't either, but I've watched like six and that's enough. But I guess from a team that you would not wish your worst enemy to watch to a team that is somehow the most watchable team ever, despite only being 10th. Is, is it Bielsa time? Is It's Bielsa time. I love Bielsa. Can we just talk about the man's freaking Achilles? Like, they should be grafting Bielsa's Achilles tendons onto all of the athletes who get Achilles injuries. Because that man sits in a squat for the entire (laughs) game and is totally fine. How does that work? He just doesn't have Achilles tendons. He just has rods of steel back there. I I mean... He's not a real human. The the Bielsa squat is one of my favorite things. Because... As soon as they cut to it on the sideline, you know either something awesome has just happened or something awesome will happen, which is a pretty good bet at any time in a Leeds game anyways, because their defense is terrible, their offense is beautiful, and something's going to happen in a Leeds game. It's great. Yeah, the, uh, which is 
when Chelsea played them a few weeks ago and they drew nil all, it was the most shocking nil all of all time. Right? I, I, they have like two draws all season, don't they? It's, it's something wild. They uh, three, 14, 3, and 14. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. That's we should all be so lucky. The only team who has less draws is Sheffield. <laughs> because they suck. <laughs> yeah. Because they're shit. I mean, that's just... How, how many like how many people are having more fun than Leeds people this season? Like, you had zero expectations coming into this season, and you've won. They had, they had, they had basic expectations of you know they. I think they knew they weren't going to get relegated. Like if unless right. unless the house of cards completely folded, I think most Leeds fans are pretty safe in knowledge that we should at like we should be like just a lot of the teams in the bottom half don't have the attacking. Um, the attacking nous or the manager, like the level of manager, however you say it, I can't speak because it leads time. I'm so excited. <laughs> a lot of the teams in that bottom half, you look at them, they don't have the attack and they don't have the level of manager that Leeds got. So just on those two factors alone, considering nothing else, just looking at that on a, a spreadsheet, you'd be like, okay, Leeds should at worst maybe be like 13th. Because there's always going to be like a collection of teams below them that just cannot score, and sure, and just don't know what they're doing managerial wise. But there should also be a collection of teams above them who can defend, <laughs> and that's that's the crazy bit of chaos. Like Leeds right now are doing better than Wolves by seven whole points. That's crazy. Yeah, Wolves are a weird one to me. I saw a, I saw a great uh, Photoshop of the the sign like going into Wolverhampton, and it's been translated in like it just says Wolverhampton Tau instead. <laughs> it's just been translated into Portuguese. I just love the model. I love they've leaned into it. It's it's great. Um, but I, I mean, when it comes to Leeds, uh, yeah, back to Bill. You, you look you look Leeds. at their their roster, and you're not really that impressed, right? Like. I, I'm a big Calvin Phillips guy, but is he their best player? Probably. Uh, I'd say they he's signed... most in, important just because he's like their one, I guess. I mean, he's he's their talismanic He's their player, one sure. of defensive midfield play. But like, well, and he's also like the guy that can switch play and play the long balls. You he's know, their, he's, he's, he's their that guy. He's playing six, yeah. Right. Um... But like, like Rodrigo, they signed him from Valencia. He's probably like the biggest star that they didn't bring up with them. Maybe if, if you just like if you just gave like ten like twenty year old kids who spent more time on FIFA than watching actual games, you gave them like the lead squad. Right. They pick Rodrigo. Who, who have you heard of on this team? They would say Rodrigo, and right. maybe Luke Allen because he had a funny FIFA photo a few years ago. I think that's former Arsenal uh, Academy player, you Luke Ayling. Oh, it explains a lot. Um, right? It explains why he can't defend. It, it also explains why uh, in both games that he's played Arsenal this year, he's like tried to take somebody out <laughs> because he's just been trying way too hard. He's the, he's one of the guys who's like scissor tackled uh, Nico Pepe. And it's just been like, Luke, you're trying way too hard, buddy. Um, I think yeah. he's got... He's the guy that got Pepe a red card in the first meeting. But, like, Patrick Bamford is just, like, the wildest story in the Premier League this year. I thought he was the one. 
it's it's insane that Patrick Bamford is currently scoring like crazy. And he's got uh, 39 goals and 97 appearances for Leeds, according to this Wikipedia thing that I just pulled up, <laughs> which is wild. I mean, he spent five years with Chelsea and did nothing. Yeah, so obviously, so all on I, loan. But I actually, yeah, yeah. So I actually didn't realize he wasn't. A, I've he's a lot older than I than I thought he was at first. Like I knew he was old-ish. But 27, Chelsea, yeah. Yeah, so Chelsea signed him. He's older than me. That's old. So Yeah, no, well, thanks. <laughs> so Chelsea signed him when I think he was 19. Whereas I, I just assumed he was like there from like 10, 12 years old, like a proper youth product. But no, he was just signed as I guess like a, a punt. They took a punt on him. And then he had a couple of pre-seasons and went out on loan. And I think it was around 20... Uh, 15. So he was a Chelsea from 12 to 17, I think. Yep. Like, like on their rost on their books. Yep. And then I think after the the season that shall not be named, or maybe even during that season, there was points where everyone was like, you know, Bamford is the the guy. Give him a go. Um, and then like they wanted him to like a lot of Chelsea fans wanted him to stay full time with the squad and be I guess the second striker um but then he eventually got sold and the rest the yeah the rest is history but I guess we all we all believed far too much in Patrick Bamford at the time and it's paid off for us select few now because there's always questions like oh he can't do it in the premier league he's just a, a flat track bully who just does it in the lower leagues and then he's come up and he just fits so well into that side and he's scoring goals and everyone's like, Oh my God. Right. And, and it's, he's scoring goals in a way that he wasn't previously too. Like he's clearly improved from like a finishing standpoint, which is awesome for him. Cause like the big thing for, for Bamford for years was he couldn't, finish like he'd get in good positions and just blow it over the bar every time and i think he's still not a super i haven't checked his his xg like uh ratio whatever his his efficiency but like yeah he's actually scoring the goals he needs to score now which is just shocking and good for him but you, you're talking about a, a former chelsea guy who went on loan one two three four five six times was sold the middles middlesbrough then sold to Leeds and now is the starting striker for a Bielsa team. Like that's, that's a story. That's a hell of a story. So I just looked at, I went on understat. So Bamford's 21. So his XG this season is apparently 14.84. I don't know how many goals he's actually scored, but his XG per 90 is 0.52, which is, as someone who hasn't looked at all the stats together, that sounds pretty good. <laughs> so we're looking for Bamford's Bamford's Premier League total. Yeah, I mean you can just you could you could step on the Wikipedia page to do it, but yeah. Bamford in the Premier League has scored 14 goals, so he's basically level with his XG, which has not been the case for many years. So good for him. But I think the the biggest I guess, representation of this Leeds team, like you said, attack versus defense, 
They've scored 49 and conceded 49. Exactly. Yeah, it's, it's lovely. It's right. the, the only teams that have conceded, like even Fulham have conceded less than them. <laughs> like the only team. Brutal accusation. The only teams <laughs> that have conceded more than them are Palace, Southampton, Newcastle, and then West Brom and Sheffield. Like there's some absolute oh shit out. You just always got to watch Leeds, man. It's so much fun. That's yeah. just Leeds are the, the rule off. for several years has been always watch Atlanta and Syria because Atlanta has been beautiful, and now it's just always watch Leeds. So, because of our time zone, the games are on like during the night here. Like the early game is like 10 p.m. maybe. So, the the greatest compliment I can give Leeds is I will. Because I've got the Optus app on my phone. And I, if I'm like on a bus home after like a night at the pub or something, I will pull up the Leeds game and watch it on my phone. Absolutely. I, I won't do that for most other teams. I won't even do it for Chelsea. I'll wait till I get home. But for Leeds, I just have to know what's going on. Yeah. There, there are two teams that I have their score lines like tagged to pull up in my phone. Because like uh, Android, uh, Google has this like little floating score line thing they'll give you. Um, that'll like hover over all the other apps on your phone, and it's Arsenal and Leeds scorelines. Because I know, like, I just want to, I just want to keep tally of the Leeds scoreline. Because I know that, like, if I get home, because they normally play at like noon or 3 p.m. here, so like I'll get home from work after like five o'clock, and it's like, mm, do I just throw on a Leeds game? Of course, I'm just gonna throw on a Leeds game. Why would I not? And it's great. So, yeah, so they they beat Man City yesterday, a couple of days ago. Um, yeah. And I, I was I was out. That was like the super early game. It was on at like 9.30 here. So I was out with friends. But I was like just casually scrolling Twitter. And I, I follow a few Leeds fans and just general football fans. And I'm just saying like, Dallas, 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 just flooding my timeline. And, you know, then I see the XG and it's just like all this football terrorism, of like 0.05 <laughs> goals expected in the first half. And they're winning 1-0. And then That's great. Like, the XG for the whole game was like maybe half. Yeah, <laughs> which is wild for a Bielsa team. Yeah, I mean, it, yeah, the, I guess coming up against the best defense in the league, but yeah, Bielsa. But, but part of the fun part about Leeds is they'll just like take shots. They'll just they'll they'll put the ball towards the goal because they know that that works. And they they, they adopt the uh, what I call the Division Ten strategy because that's the league <laughs> I, that, that's the level I play in just socially. It's the shoot on site because you just know the keeper is yeah. shit. <laughs> so like if you just get it on target, like I scored on the weekend just by shooting, and it went straight through the keeper's hands, and it was it was a dirty goal. But like I didn't. <laughs> if you can that. see the goal frame, you can I, hit the goal frame. I, I, I felt a little bit embarrassed and bad. I didn't celebrate it, but that's my first. Yeah, it was always oh, good to see, get a goal in the see, first game. That's a mature man doesn't celebrate the shitty goals. Yeah. Yeah, it's only, it. only only because I also hit a volley that same game that was dropping from a decent height and I, like 25 yards out. I hit it off the weak foot and the I hit it so well. It sounds like I'm bigging myself up, which I am, but I hit it so well and it just at the last second curved and just missed the top corner and I was furious. <laughs> and then and then for some reason me scoring that shitty goal when we were already up like seven one made me even angrier because. I knew what you I could have had, had the good one. Yeah. <laughs> I Spe- get it. Yeah. Speaking of good goals, uh, you'd be giving up the Champions League this year or there's no reason to with Arsenal? 
Oh no, always watch the Champions League. You, I mean, you, you've seen me on Twitter enough. I, I, I always just want to watch greatness. That's kind of my theory. So That's whether my team is good or bad, I will root for the, the dynasty team. I'll root for the good teams because I just, when you look back, you know, 10 years from now, you're not going to remember, you know, the mediocre mid-table team that you watched on principle. You're going to want to remember, uh, you know, the Golden State Warriors going to five finals in a row because that was the stories of the season. That's what you, you're going to talk about. So. Are you saying we're not going to remember Leeds? Look, they're, they're, we'll remember Leeds. <laughs> I was going to say, it was about to say. But uh, they're, they're one of those teams whose whose position in the table does not represent how fun they are to watch. <laughs> not not that's not always the case, but with Leeds, <laughs> that's the case. So Bayern clear favorites. I would think so. Bayern and and City probably. Well, that's good. That they're on the same side of the draw then. Exactly. So uh, do, I, I, do, I, do you want me to say it? Yes, I think Chelsea is favoured over Porto. <laughs> oh, no, I didn't want you to say that, because that's obvious. We're up 2-0 after the away leg. Well, the, oh, the quote-unquote away leg, because they're both at neutral Yeah, venues. that's ridiculous. But um, I wanted to just, uh, in the little notes sheet, I, I have legitimate chance for Chelsea to play final. Stop laughing, I know you're laughing. <laughs> so it's Madrid and Liverpool is their, their next opponent, right? Yeah. Probably Madrid. Probably Madrid. We've already beaten one Madrid. I I would have to give Madrid the edge, well, but it's not it's not a huge lead, but I would have to. Like oh, we're talking just, about that's just the hatred coming out. Well, <laughs> we're t- we're talking about a I I think this Madrid team is pretty good still, and if like they're healthy and have like their their core veterans, I think it's pretty hard to beat them. But also, you're talking about a manager that's won three straight and just clearly understands how to win cup games. So I think that's an advantage for Madrid. Love, but like, I don't, I don't think the roster cup. talent level is that crazy high compared to Chelsea right oh, now. I love that you called it a cup game. It's like you know, all these cup fixtures. We've got you know Real Madrid away, and then we've got Stoke on the weekend. You know, the cup, <laughs> cup ties, whatever. Yeah, uh, just you know, the magic of the cup. Yeah. Um. No, I. As much as that was in jest, I think if there is a year for like a Chelsea to, because like ever, ever since they won the the thing, um, they've kind of just hovered around the last sixteen. Because like, I don't think I think this year was the first year they made it to the last eight in, oh, I think since the Courtois era or the the pre Courtois. I think they. Last time they made the last eight, they lost to Atletico when they had Courtois. So this predates me. So. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry. I thought you were better than that. Uh, sorry. No, it's. I mean, you're talking like late 2000s, then, right? Uh, no, so it's, it's, it's been a while. It's, it's the mid. No, Courtois was like. Uh, Courtois' first season at Chelsea was 14, 15. Okay. Wow, that was more recent than I thought. He's only 27, 28. It is wild his little Chelsea adventure which was basically showing up at Chelsea and then be like I'm gonna go to Real Madrid now <laughs> oh, the whole time that was a dirty story so Chelsea signed him as a teenager when he was like uh when he was at Genk I think it was 
like one of the Belgian teams, immediately loaned him to, I think, finished the season there, immediately loaned him to Atletico for three seasons. So 12, 13, and 14. And like that, that was when the loan army, like Chelsea are known. The loan army. It's what it's called. Chelsea are known for having. I know, I know. Where they they just send, they just send dudes everywhere. Like, oh, all the Vitesse jokes, you know. But like they, they're renowned for it. And then this was like at the peak of the loan army where it was like, once you got into the loan army, that's like your career died. Yeah. So you've got like Josh, Josh McCachron is like the main, this is predating you. But Josh McCachron was like the, the guy in the youth academy back in like the early tens. He was, um, he was a guy that I think one of the, I think it might've even been Ancelotti when he was at Chelsea, like gave him minutes. <laughs> um, and then like, everyone was like, this guy is now like Iniesta or something. And then he went on one loan and then everyone forgot about him. And goodbye. that was it. And then, and then, yeah, goodbye. So like sending someone out on loan was like the, de- like even Kevin De Bruyne, since he got into the loan system, oh, th- that was it for him. Mo Salah. Right. Um, I know, I know, De Bruyne, Salah, uh, Lukaku. I didn't, Lukaku. I didn't realize that uh, that Courtois was a loanee to Atletico. Yeah, so that he, one, that one had escaped me. I knew about the other ones, the other big names, anyway. Yeah, but so not Chelsea, him. So if if you were a half decent Belgian in the early tens, you probably were on loan from Chelsea. Um, <laughs> so Chelsea signed yeah, Courtois in I think 2011, then sent him out on loan for three years. Had to get an exemption, I think, because Usually you don't play against your parent club, but right. I think Champions League is slightly different. Like there's different rules about it. Then yeah, it comes comes back and everyone's like, because obviously he turned into like one of the best keepers in the world, and Petacek was like getting on. So we're like, all right, we've actually got a succession plan in the loan army. Oh for yeah, Mike. trust me, I know I know Petacek. <laughs> <laughs> that, but, that's a name I definitely know. I think everyone was just like surprised, like oh my god, we've actually got a lone army succession plan that's worked and he's like ready comes and in like really good and immediately takes like the starting spot in 14 15 from check they're like compete because that's officially it was a competition but it was never really a competition yeah and then check goes to arsenal and has a great career there but then yeah in, in like the lot so Korto was there for three years one two league uh two league titles but in that last year there was like all this noise about like him wanting to go back to Madrid because that's where his kids were living. Sure. Yeah, he had. I'm assuming from his time at Atletico, he had a family or he had children in Madrid, and so he made this big song and dance. He's like, I'm only going to Real, and like, oh shit, all right. So like, forced that hand, got him like sold like some cut rate. I guess we got Kovacic back, but yeah, his his tenure did not end well. No. Yeah. Which is a shame because he was... Welcome to the Kepa era. Yeah. Yeah, that would, I, well, I thought I'd go this whole podcast without talking about Kepa, so thanks. So I'm sorry. I'm so, I am legitimately sorry. <laughs> that, one, that, one, that one just hurts to watch. <laughs> it's a shame because he, was, he's not, he wasn't that bad. He, he's, got, he's got weak wrists, like very weak wrists. For some uh, of... he, he just, he's one of those guys who never read the game at the right speed and it was just over. That's if you, a uh, funny yeah. story. Uh, my little sister is a Spanish teacher, and so she studied at um, in Bilbao. Yeah. And so like, I kind of keep track of of Bilbao 
And so I was like, oh, this is a, an interesting thing. And then it was not an interesting thing. It was a horrifying thing. <laughs> it was terrible. <laughs> it was basically watching a young kid's career just die in front of your eyes. Just before and, we move on to the the section I've got where I want you to just tee off. Uh-huh. I, I, I'm a big fan of Bill Bow's model. It's quickly. fun. It's such a... It, as long as it keeps working, like, if it's sustainable, then, yeah, keep, keep going. Like, if yeah, they have that... I mean, help, there's enough Basque talent. Yeah. And the one thing you, like, desperately need... Like, you can do anything in a team. Like, you can build any part of a team from the one to the... Any, any position except for the number nine. Like, that's the one position you just need to have a talent in, really. Maybe that maybe like a you need like one midfielder who like really has it all put together. The for the most part you can coach an eleven to be good on defense and like put in crosses, but you really need a number nine. So for the the fact that they got Inyaki Williams, who is wonderful, and then they just signed him for like a decade, and then it's just like yeah, well, cool, we're going. <laughs> we'll just keep build, we'll just keep being built out. It's that's love. I love that. I love the 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 Basque thing. I love that they're still like usually pretty competitive despite that. It's great. Because they had Laporte as well. He technically yep. qualified for that. And I think didn't wouldn't Griezmann have qualified as well? Oh, uh, he's French. Well, so uh, is Laporte is French. And I don't remember how Griezmann's. Academy so Griezmann, thing went. No, Griezmann was never at Bilbao, but I think he's from the Basque region of well, he's France. Uh, Sociedad's also Basque. Well, so if he was in the Sociedad Academy, well, then maybe think, he qualifies. Yeah, I think. Um, what well, if he's from he's from San Sebastian, which is I, I think. Yeah, he was born in France, but he he started like really early at Sociedad. So I don't know. I don't know if he would have qualified. Would have been an interesting one. Uh, maybe not. No, he wasn't born in the Basque region, but he was there from very young. No. Oh, yeah. no, I just, sorry. Aha. On Wikipedia. <laughs> because Griezmann spent time at youth level in a Basque club, he's potentially available to play for Athletic Bilbao in spite of being born and growing up in the non-Basque areas of France. There you go. There you go. Right. So they, they've loosened the oh, Well, well, yeah, we'll claim <laughs> we, it. We'll claim we've it. got Bilbao's summer plans on lock now. All right. Yes. I as hope soon as they find the hundred million dollars. Uh, once he outlives his Barca tenure, I hope he goes there. But um, that would be great. It would I would be enjoy great. that very much. But no, no, you've seen the next note on the sheet. <laughs> I have. You, you've got, I don't know, two minutes. Just go off. You you can't tell me to go on a rant about my thing. And give me two minutes. That's right. that's brutal. Right. Well, what do you want? Five minutes? I'll give you five minutes. Let's let's just say this. Uh, do you want the rant about how bad Premier League officiating is, or do you want the rant about the fact that we could fix it really easy? I'll take both. <laughs> because let's let's go with the more productive one about fixing it. <laughs> okay, let's do that then. So so my thing for years has been that we have all this technology available, and we continue to use the technology to empower the humans to be more human in every officiating sense, basically in all team sports, by which I mean 
hey, VAR says maybe there's a foul here or maybe there's an incident here. Let's have the official go over to the screen and watch what's happening. The match official. We have a system of VAR which says, hey, let's have a human pixel snipe like they're playing Counter-Strike to pick off sidelines that are pixel perfect. And then if they're two pixels apart because you missed the line on the T-shirt, we're good. What are we doing? Like, we need to be abstracting as many decisions as possible from the human aspects of officiating. When it comes to offside, it's really, really simple. Even even if we continue to let people pick the T-shirt line and let humans pick the <laughs> T-shirt line, you make a six-inch buffer. You just write that into the rules. Or even if, like, getting overly detailed here, but maybe because the camera angles aren't always the same, maybe it's actually hard to create a literal, uh, like, six-inch measurement. Maybe you just create a line weight thickness and say, hey, if these two lines overlap your level, go for it. Boom. All of those offside issues that we've been having for two years now, gone. In a flash. Right there. Nobody's going to do it. What we could even do is have... AI pick the players and and use um, like Photoshop, for example, if you've ever used it, has like a like a smart select tool that just like selects outlines and stuff. Yep. That technology we use for all sorts of things in manufacturing, for, for vision systems, all sorts of stuff. You can just throw that on there and basically say, look for the blue shirt, look for the red shirt, which one's furthest forward. The AI can take any snapshot you give it, and as long as you train it properly – do that in three seconds. And that's the big thing everyone hates about uh, assisted officiating in all sports is how it takes so long. It takes so long because we're asking 60-year-old geriatrics who don't want to do this to go <laughs> stare at a monitor and make these decisions. And they're never going to change their minds because it's a point of pride for them. And we know this because we've done a billion studies about refereeing bias, and all of them have come back saying, yep, they're biased. And that's not even getting into the point of, like, referees who actually, like, are fans of teams. Like, they just have inherent biases and pride about certain things, and it gets in the way. So that's the first thing. And then, in soccer specifically, you have penalties, which are stupid. <laughs> you, have a, you have penalties, which are worth, from an XG standpoint, I think it's 0.78 XG is the approximation for a penalty. Yeah, okay. So you have a 78% chance at a goal, and most penalties are a dude running down the very outside of the box, falling over his own shoelaces. How is how should that be worth a goal? So well, you hand, have a, the handball interpretation, but I don't want to. Well, and so you have the same thing. So my thing for like handball, if the ball isn't going towards the goal make it a, a free kick, an indirect free kick in the box. We don't get enough of those. You only get those if the keeper picks up a back pass. Indirect free kicks in the box are really fun. More <laughs> indirect free kicks in the box would be really fun. So as long as you're not like a crazy traditionalist who believes that like soccer must stay exactly the same, let's make some changes to that. Penalties that aren't actual goal-scoring opportunities, make them indirect free kicks in the box, Right. Has anybody ever done any studies about the size of the box? This is another thing. When I watch soccer as somebody who is not born into it, the fact that the entire game is played around the edge of that 
arbitrary box and like nobody's like everyone's terrified to allow anyone inside and a lot of people are terrified to go inside because they know they won't get token calls as soon as they go inside the box because a ref won't give them a penalty so they're saying oh i'm gonna get nailed if i go in the box if i dribble into the box but it's not gonna be enough for a penalty so i don't want to go there we see that all the time has anybody ever thought about changing the size of the box changing you know adding other box like those are the kinds of things that soccer desperately needs because right now VAR has highlighted the fact that penalties suck. Every game now is a question is questioning VAR decisions, which is really questioning officiating decisions because penalties are way too overpowered compared to the rest of the playing field. Um, and then there's just handball, which is stupid in general. I don't understand anything they've done with handball this year. They keep making it harder for themselves to officiate, which is wild to me. That should be that should definitely be one of the things that is just ref go to the monitor and figure it out. Which <laughs> another thing, why are refs not going to the monitor right away? Nobody's ever told me this. I, I can't figure out why is it that every time we have to have a ref go to the monitor, the Premier League is definitely the worst at this. Today, I don't know if you watched United versus um I have not Tottenham. There was a play in which um Scott McTominay like put his hand out and hit uh Hyung-Ming's son in the face. Did son flop? Absolutely. It took them like two and a half minutes to tell the ref to go over and take a look at it. And as soon as he took a look at it, he called off the goal that had been scored for United and pulled it back for that for that foul. And it was like, okay, every single person in the in the stadium watching at home, everyone knows that you're looking at that. Just call the ref over first thing. Why wh- who is what is it taking two minutes to search that's the, those are the things where it's like nobody understands this, and it just it makes every game about officiating decisions. It makes people like me go crazy, and for the most part, it's just procedural nonsense that we can get rid of. So, yeah, there's there's. Did I keep that under five? I think I kept that under five. I was. I just, think it was close. Oh, my head was spinning. I don't remember. I wasn't paying attention. Uh, I think it was about six, but that's good. <laughs> I just oh. wrote down on my little notes thing, one nineteen. Ref rant, just in case I want to use that for promos. <laughs> oh. Although that might be the only reason people listen, so maybe not. <laughs> yeah, and I didn't even Mike, mention Mike Dean once, who is just an outright cheat, or Scott no, Foster, I, I just knew, an outright cheat. <laughs> I knew those one. I put anything to tell her. I couldn't remember who the exact ref was. Mike Dean is the one. Oh. Yeah. Mike Mike Dean is famous for having. He, I think he awarded us a penalty this year, so I think his penalty record for Arsenal specifically is like six penalties awarded to Arsenal in his entire career and like 25 awarded against. Have you seen the clip of him in the stands again for the team he actually supports in like lower leagues just going crazy? Uh, yes. It's is Mike Dean also like a well-known Manchester United fan? Yes. <laughs> nah, he's just a bloke. He's just, just give him a chance. I'm sure you'll like him. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> no. No, there's yeah. We we don't even have to get into to officials who have personalities. Shout out to Bo Borowski, who decided to make the NCAA tournament his own little fucking playground. <laughs> Nobody Boy. loves making the charge symbol more than Bo Borowski, except for the the uh, he also loves making the moving screen call. I uh, really gets, loves that one. Gets the hips going, does he? Oh, loves it, loves it. Um, <laughs> yeah, I didn't. What? Yeah, 
Okay. Um, no, I was gonna I was gonna bring up um, speaking of officials with quote unquote personality, Mark Clattenburg, the um, the Battle of the Bridge, Chelsea versus Tottenham, two thousand and sixteen, when um, if Tottenham didn't win that game, then Leicester were champions, and then Tottenham could have had legitimately three guys sent off in that game. Because the I, I think it took until like the 80th minute to get a yellow card, and if you just go on YouTube and search Tottenham versus Chelsea Battle of Bridge highlights, it's just a compilation of foul <laughs> after foul after foul. Well, on, that's on Eden Hazard. Lamella stomps on Fabregas's hand and gets nothing. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, not Pochettino. Was Pochettino? Was yeah, he would have been the manager at the time. He, he's like on the pitch, like um, talking to. He's like trying to break up a melee in which Moussa Dembele gouges Diego Costa in the eye and gets nothing. He gets a, re- a retrospective ban after. But, um... Yeah. Like... Well, that's has, just the, uh, the famous up. game in which United uh, broke Arsenal's uh, unbeaten streak. If you go and watch that game, it's literally just like an assassination attempt of every what? Arsenal player on the field. And the I forget who the official for that game was, but he is just whistling Dixie... In the corner, <laughs> doing nothing. It's well, like, yeah, okay, buddy. it's it's same with like yeah yeah. So Eden Hazard was like getting chopped down every time he yeah. got the ball. But um, uh, two more things on that game. One, Clattenburg actually went on a because I think he's retired now, or he's like a, the ref consultant in some Middle Eastern league, which I think is hilarious. <laughs> um, but he like the yeah he um went on a went on a interview and said you know he didn't want to he didn't want to be the like make any calls that would be considered like deciding (laughs) you didn't want to be like a main influence and i'm like dude there's like guys lunging in two feet scissoring hazard and he like you're not even given yellows for it like yeah there's like written into the rules is like accumulation of fouls to get a yellow card like if you just keep fouling there was like 35 fouls in that game and like one yellow card why is it not just a thing that a VAR official can just like be like, hey, hey, ref, that was number five. Like, he needs a yellow. Like, <laughs> the VAR officials are doing nothing for like 87 minutes of a 90-minute game. Just just have him in there, just like counting fouls. You can do that. Um, but the also, ref doesn't have to do it all. But also the best thing about that entire game, besides Hazard scoring a goal, and like watching all the reactions from Leicester, like all the pubs and then Vardy's house and whatever. But uh, after... Like d- during one of the many many stoppages for the fouls for the free kick, um, because you know how Stanford Bridge is like the away fans are in like the left corner on like broadcast, right. and at at one point, so this is obviously the season after uh, in, in between the two titles, so fifteen and seventeen, the Chelsea won, so they've got the gold winners patch on their sleeve. Right. Uh, w- this is why I will never hate William. He like walks over and just starts pointing at the gold thing to the Tottenham fans. <laughs> like, cause they're, cause they're chanting or being feral or doing something. I don't know. And then he's just like, casually just like on his, like just nodding, like, yeah, what, you're never going to get this. Well, that's one of the great moments in Arsenal history was the, uh, Arsenal won the invincible season at White Hart Lane. And like, they were told like, don't celebrate. Like we need to get you out of here safely. Don't celebrate. Don't do anything. You guys can go party when you're back home and safe. Like the the like match security was telling them this, and like <laughs> someone like pissed off Thierry Henry, and so he just like starts p- 
partying in front of the <laughs> the Arsenal away fans at White Hart Lane. And I was like, oh, you're going to do that? You're going to do that to me? <laughs> well, now I'm going to celebrate on your pitch. It's <laughs> just one of the all-time great moments. A classic. you got to be able to love sticking it to Tottenham. Nothing else is better. I, I've never heard of White Hart Lane. I've only heard of Three Point Lane. <laughs> should call it Shite Heart Lane. Oh. There's one more. I, I don't know if you've even got the energy to go through the last... I have all the energy in the world. This this could be another rant. <laughs> so I haven't actually played FIFA this year. Uh, uh, well, I've played about... I've played a few career mode games on it, but I've... Usually I'm like a big ultimate team guy, but this year I've spent like five minutes on it, like the very, very start. I, I've just, every year we stray further from the path of God with FIFA. And every year I just ask them for one simple thing and it is to bring back the EA Sports Creation Center. That's all I ask. I don't care. Like, I'm sure there's like legitimate reasons about like, oh, uh, it costs too much to maintain and like no one uses it. Well, I used it. I used it every year. I loved making teams on that thing and getting them into my game. That's the only reason I bought the season ticket on FIFA is so I could play with my teams in the game. And they they keep talking about, oh, we've got the Frostbite engine now, whatever we're at. Like, I don't care. I, don't, <laughs> I do not give a flying shit about what your physics engine, like 0.78 version 3 is up to now. I don't care about the realism of the game. Like, oh, you can see players sweat. And like some players like Kevin Prince Boateng have neck tattoos that you can see in the game. That's great. <laughs> I, I, do not, I do not give a shit. I, I don't care about pro... I care about pro cups a little bit. I just want to be able to make my guy... Like, make... Because the in-game creation, like, creator player, is a light version of what was on the creation center. So right. that's... That's my rant. That's like the most passionate I'll ever get about anything FIFA related is until they bring that back. I mean, I'll still buy the game, but I won't play it. And that'll show them. <laughs> I I never was there for a creation center. Um, it, it was great. I think even Madden had a version, which I never right. used. But and like was, conceptually, I agree with you. Creation centers are great. Um, I'm betting they probably don't do it because of licensing fees. Like, I think they pay so much that they're like, you're going to play with these teams that we paid for and you're going to like it. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, and I think they, they've they tried to be like, ah, well, you can just do all that in an ultimate team, right? You can just, like, pick a logo and fill your team. And it's like, no, no, no. No, no, no. That doesn't yeah, but they, count. But they're real people. I don't want real people. Right. No. I, I, want, I want Steve McSteves over here doing random stuff. I want, I want to make my players do... You know, this guy has 99 crossing and no other stats. Let's see what goes on. <laughs> yes. Oh, finally, yeah. someone who understands. No, I, I'm, I'm right there with you. The uh, the the creation centers are, are, like, it seems like we've just lost all of them. Like, right around, like, 2010, it, like, when we started seeing, like, ultimate teams come into stuff and just, like, microtransactions, everyone was like, hmm. Well, not going to do this anymore. And like everything has gone, even stuff that you wouldn't have thought was like a creation center, like um, Call of Duty logo creators and stuff have like not been nearly as cool. Yeah. We've just lost all of it. It's it's very sad. It is very sad. But yeah, I think think the FIFA creation center, 
from memory died around 14 or 15. I know 14, I think, was the first FIFA I played. Shout out to FIFA 14 and being able to cross from literally anywhere on the field and get a goal. One of my all-time favorites. Uh, and I don't remember it in 14. I know 12 had one. So yeah, it was like it was at least 12. It was my late high school era. So I think it might have been 12, 13. But, where, that's, not, that's just me getting another age joking as well. <laughs> no, I think not it was. that much older than you. <laughs> it's enough. <laughs> it is. Were you alive for the Lions playoff win? Uh, was I? I don't think so. Was that 91? I'm a, I'm a 92 baby, so. I think that was 91. I don't think so. Yeah, okay. You're like, you, you survived. <laughs> Were you all, you're, you're I've the lived in the darkness my whole life. <laughs> you're, the, you're the barometer for success. <laughs> um, but yeah, look, I... I have, like, not seen a functional difference in the game in, like, the last five years. And, I mean, it's always like that. It's, like, FIFA, and even, like, NBA, 2K, they're just always, like, it's just glorified roster updates. Like, you can just get the roster update from, like, some guy on the um, online, like, forum, <laughs> the 2K share or, like, the share right. files or whatever. But um, <laughs> But we'll still pay, like, $80 every year or whatever it costs in your currency to get them to do it for us. <laughs> See, I, I disagree a little bit, but I also play a lot. Like FIFA's normally just running at all times for me because I'll let, I, I almost exclusively play offline so that I can just kind of pick it up and put it down whenever I want. But like, it's always subtle differences in like passing quality. Like the last two years has been a lot more about like, Hey, play the way you're facing. That's been like the big change. And to me, it's, like, massive. Like, it totally changes how I want to play the games. But in reality, no, it's not that big a deal. I always have a question of, like, what do people want? Because I think what people want is, like, more arcade stuff. Like, if you go back to the old FIFA games, like, it's extremely arcade. I have one friend who, like, doesn't want to play anymore because he can't one-touch pass his way to goal anymore. And it's like, yes, but also we hate playing against that. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. is that, like... I know you liked being that kind of player, but also you hated that person. And we we still hate that person. So yeah. I'm never sure what people really want. I enjoy things. Like, I think this year is probably the best uh, the game has felt to me. But, like, I'm a – again, I'm a guy who, like, I will play possession football and, like, pass around you. That's what I try. And play the right way. And because I play the right way, like, the more realistic stuff where it's, like, you have to turn and, like, take a dribble to set yourself up before playing a pass, that's good to me, and I know a lot of people hate that. Yeah, I tried to play, like, pro like how I would, the game would be played in real life. I tried to play like that on the game. And then after my third 8-0 loss in a row in Ultimate Team, I was like, you know what? Stuff this. <laughs> I'm going to be that filthy guy. Who, block like, on the counter. Let's go. Yeah, I, I'm going to be that guy who's just going to be like, one two with his ninety three pace striker that no one's heard oh. of, but just because he's fast, I'm going to get in behind your ninety three pace centre back because somehow it doesn't matter what the actual pace rating is, everything gets nerfed if you're a defender. And then straight through on goal, we're just full powered at the near post, and oh yeah. look, I'm six nil up, and it feels good. <laughs> yeah, 
that's one of the reasons I like to play against the uh, the AI a lot because it's like I don't I don't have to worry about people being too meta to Thank let you. me have fun. Let's worry about other humans. Uh, I just I'll I'll play against like I'll put it on like world class difficulty so that it, like the AI's got a decent chance and then I'm just I'm gonna have some fun and that's all I need. Yeah, I think my my main um the thing I like the most is when they got the Premier League licensing. So it was like all the graphics. Like I, I just like the graphics and presentation and stuff more than how the actual game feels. So like I don't care if the game plays like trash, but if I can see like my guys walk out like when they do the intros and like they fold their arms and they're like, oh, they got the little flags in the corner. I, I, I like that. I like that. Have you have you played on a five yet? Sorry. A PS5. No. Or on a, a, a new gen console. So no. on the new gens they have like arena specific walkout stuff so like you walk out if you're playing like liverpool you walk out like in anfield and they have like a bunch of like very anfield stuff and you go through like an anfield looking tunnel and it's it's it is very very cool that just like they put that much detail into it should they have probably fixed career mode before putting that much detail into it yes (laughs) please you should have my main issue with career mode is i'll um i've never been up so i'll like list a guy or like i'll try and sell a guy or loan a guy whatever I'll never get an uh, I'll never get a loan offer for one of my guys. So I'll sorry, start that again. I'll list a guy for loan, and a club will come to me and be like, "Can we have a loan with an option to buy?" Every time, every single time. I've never got just a straight loan, and I'll counter like, "No, we just want to loan him. We don't want to sell him." And every single time, they do like the whole waving their arms, like offended, like, "Oh, this is we'll never reach an agreement like this. Ah, oh, I'm out." Negotiation. Well, that's like off. I would like a I would like an eight percent sell-on fee. Boy, you have offended the gods. You need to go to hell. Like, excuse you. Like, what? You're That's buying one of my my children for like twelve million dollars. A sell-on fee is not crazy. Yeah, it's also like when um yeah, like when you're not you have like when you're at the end of the window, you haven't got time to scout someone, so you just like make an offer and you don't <laughs> know what they're worth exactly. So you like you'll either like I've done it both, where I like I'll offer a guy like twenty five million, and they'll be like like they'll either just be straight offended like I've just you know accused their mum of being a, a not very nice thing <laughs> or like they'll even go supposed to be like I don't know we're looking for like 75 like, oh, oh shit no okay no definitely not <laughs> definitely not no. or it'll go the other way and I'll offer like 60 million and they're like yeah yeah no worries sweet and then like I'll, I'll get the and then player you know you just got like 40 million more than you should have <laughs> <laughs> and I'll get the player and it'll be like it'll share like market value and it'll be like 22 million like uh Oh, uh, Dad. Yeah. The uh, the the thing that gets me. So I like to do a lot of like the the um like player career mode. And the thing that's gotten me is the last two years your player is not allowed to have stamina. And it's just like oh, not fun. Hmm. Like it's, it's just like you you lose like you're at zero. Not even like fifty percent. You're at like zero stamina at like the 60th minute of every game, no matter what your stamina rating is, even if you're like trying to conserve and like play smart about it. And it's just like, all right, well, that's broken. We're done. (laughs) So there's, they've got some things to fix. Did you have any final points before we, because I think we've, we've gone on long enough about anything and everything through the bowl. (laughs) And I've been, I I think I'm good. I, I think we've we've covered all the things we need to cover. No I guess my final point is I'm, I'm very glad that you brought me on. Thank you. Yeah. Well, I knew I'd get a good rant out of you. <laughs> Only one? 
Well, I was banking on at least one. I did. I, <laughs> I was going to say, I hope I gave you more than one. I don't remember if I did, but I hope I did. Well, I, I wouldn't classify the, the reasonable discussions and points of interest as rants. But, like, the, the, the rant rant was a good rant rant. Okay, good. All right. <laughs> um, uh, it has you, advertised then. Do you have anything to plug? Oh, you can follow me on Twitter at Halbridius, H-A-L-B-R-I-D-I-O-U-S. And I have a weekly podcast, The Busted Header, uh, for Pistons basketball, which I'm sure very few of your followers care about. But it's a minimal. Concept. It's there. Yeah. Because we have a Pistons it's there. game to go watch in 10 minutes. We do. Which means that we've gone for way too long. Yes, we have gone for a lot longer than I thought, but that's all right. Um, I should have warned you. Yeah. It is what it is. I'm sure we, we don't do anything by half around here. People can one and a half speed this. Uh, there was a um, one of the other podcasts was a two and a half hour long thing on trading cards. So, well, shit, we got to go another hour then. No, no. Uh, oh, what? <laughs> Look at the time. Oh, geez, we've got to go. Um, now, you, as always, you can follow uh, the podcast on Twitter or at the site at Beyond the Fence or Beyond T Fence. That's a Twitter handle because someone took Beyond the Fence. Bastards. The nerve. Uh, or you can just find it on the website at beyondthefence.com.au, the Australian domain name. Uh, and you can follow me on Twitter at Ben S. Quag. Uh, you know all this by now. If you're listening to this, you definitely know who I am. Haven't got that reach yet. Uh, other than that, thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you next week. Thank you. <laughs>